Alright, we are, we are, uh, in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 2, and, um, uh, let's start reading from verse 5. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those, it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's look at verse, uh, uh, verse six. <clears throat> who will render to each person according to their deeds. Remember we talked about this last time. This is not comparing faith and works. There are deeds that are going to be done, and those deeds do not save us. But for the believer, the deeds are a witness, a testimony of our being saved. Now, you don't have to do good deeds when you're saved, but you will lose out on great blessing and great peace. God has called us to the... to. The, Deeds to works, <clears throat> and let me let me uh, uh, just just think about something. Think about the end game. What is the end game of all of this? What what when we get to the end of our lives? What will be the end game here? And and uh, how do we summarize this whole thing? Well, there's probably different things that you could summarize. For example, if you wanted to summarize the gospel, is that Jesus died for our sins, so we're clearly sinners. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Uh, and and uh, uh, so so that is the composite gospel. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised again on the third day. And through that, we can have life in him. So, so, uh, that, that's, that's one composite right there. What is the composite of, of how we should be responding? Well, this is in a, you, you know, there's many ways you could summarize it, but let's look at John chapter 17, verse 4. This is how Jesus summarized it for his own life. He's praying to his Father, and he says in John chapter 17, verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. He's saying, Father, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you've given me to do. How did I glorify you? By accomplishing the work that you have given me to do. When we accomplish the things that Jesus has given us to do, that the Father has given us to do, that is how we bring him glory. This is how we glorify God. You may say, well, 
Giving God glory is just saying hallelujah glory. No, giving God glory is by accomplishing the work that he's given us to do. So these are important things. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. For by grace you have been saved. Grace is an undeserved gift, unmerited favor. By grace we have been saved. We are saved for not for anything that we deserve. We are saved because of the grace of God, the kindness of God, unmerited favor. We are saved through faith. It is through faith. So it is not through works that we are saved. We are saved through faith. So these deeds that he's talking about in Romans chapter 2, these are the manifestations that should come out of the believer. So he says that you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, excuse me, not a result of works so that no one should boast. It is clear here. We are saved not as a result of our works so that no one's going to boast. So that's clear. These deeds that we do, this is not what gets us saved. And then read on to the next verse, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship. That means God made us. God made us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Remember I told you if there's anything good, it comes through Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus. God fashioned us in Christ Jesus. When we, when it says that we are his workmanship, it means that he's a craftsman and he makes us. God made you. <clears throat> For we are his workmanship. <clears throat> Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look at that. We are created for good works. That's why we've been made. We've been created for good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. These works that he has called us to, he has created a place for us to serve. He has created us, he has created us a place in which to serve. Created us for good works. He made us to do good works. When Jesus was here on earth, he did so many good works. If you read the last verse, the last verse of John's gospel, the gospel according to John, it says, if you were to write down, if if they had recorded every work that Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. Jesus, his whole life was about doing good works. We are his workmanship. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works are really important. If you are not busy about serving the Lord, then uh, you ought to be busy for serving the Lord. He's created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That means that these opportunities for us were prepared long ago. You think this thing just arose? <clears throat> no, God has pre-planned all of this. He's pre-planned all these opportunities for us to serve Him in this way, <clears throat> which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. God prepared these beforehand so that we should walk in them. It's very clear. He's prepared these so that we walk in them. That's what He says. Um, and, and so, 
you know, I want to look at, at, at the support staff. Let's look at the, think about the support staff. So, so, um, if you think of a paratrooper, paratroopers jump out of, jump out of airplanes and they jump into em- enemy territory. They jump out of jets, they jump out of airplanes and, and they have a parachute. Well, somebody packed that parachute. And so these are the support staff that packs parachutes for paratroopers. Without the support staff, the paratroopers can't do their job. There are people in the support staff, and there are phases that you go through in life where where your support staff. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I may be out sharing the gospel, but Shireen for many years was home with the children, and she was she was uh, you know I, I'd go out to the prisons and sharing the gospel. And she was taking care of kids. She was getting them ready for bed. She was putting them to bed. That is the whole support to keep me out there sharing the gospel. That's the support staff. Now, Shireen always had an active ministry where she had a ladies' Bible study in the home. They'd call it second cup of coffee. And, uh, uh, because, because when ladies get together for Bible studies, they, they, um, they, they, they have a lot of little treats for themselves as well. And, uh, uh, but, but she would, she would have these Bible studies, but even when I was out ministering, she was the support staff. And, uh, then she was also pouring herself into her children to teach them the ways of God. And I'll tell you, even to this day, so I have four children, some of them are even in their thirties, and, uh, uh, in, in their mid thirties now. I have, uh, uh, two children in particular that like to call Shireen in the morning, so that she can, st- they can still hear her voice saying, "Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory." So she will sing this song to them. She, they want to wake up in the morning, and the first thing they do is call her, so she can sing to them, "Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory." She has placed this treasure in their hearts, and they still like to rise and hear this. That's a treasure. That's an absolute treasure. The good works that they do in their lives, she's going to receive part of that blessing because she has poured into her children. This is the whole support staff. So it's not just those on the front lines. It's also the support staff. Everybody can have a frontline ministry, but you can't have all your time there. A lot of times you've got to be support staff. That's particularly true with parents a lot of times. Shireen saw me through in my career. You know, all these things that I'm trying to do in my career and all these things of touching people. I mean, she feeds me. She kept me alive. <laughs> she she did all of these things to support me so that I could be out in ministry. This is an important part of, of the deeds that God has for us. And she was teaching the things of God to them, my kids. And so my kids are all grown up, but early in the morning, she has her own time with the Lord, and in that time she will always send a text to all her kids and me, and it's it's uh, it's uh, some scripture verses to encourage us. And she does this with her team. So she's uh, uh, cooking in the kitchen, and uh, she has a whole support staff that kind of supports her in the kitchen in this cooking now, because Shireen is really good at mobilizing people to help her, much better than I am actually at doing that. And and uh, she will pray. Start started out with prayer, and she will send verses to them as well in the morning to encourage her support staff, uh, those who are supporting her in her deeds in the kitchen. 
And uh, uh, this is this is all part of it, where we bring God into the many good things that we have to do. Remember, it says in Ephesians that that uh, we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We were created for this. Now I want you to look at John chapter fifteen. John chapter fifteen, verse three. John chapter fifteen, verse three through five. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So he's speaking now to believers. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You're already clean. Then he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you feel yourself really not in a place of carrying out deeds, that's the whole reason we're going through this book of Romans. It's not just to look at, you know, these these uh, uh, um, these Greeks, these these sophisticated Greeks in this portion. It's to look at our own lives. That we look at the Word of God and we look at our own lives. It has to start through an abundance of a relationship with God. You start out in the morning with a relationship with God. You start first thing in the morning with a relationship with God. I've I've been having a morning time with the Lord for well over 40 years, like 43 years or more, than having time alone in the morning with God. And I don't sacrifice that for anything. And if I have to rush out to catch a flight, I mean, the first thing I'm doing on the airplane is I am, you know, if I have to leave early, early in the morning, first thing I'm doing, I will always leave before I pray my home. But it's first I, I thing I, I get in the airplane and I, I just open my Bible. And I, I'm going to have my quiet time right there. I want to have my time with the Lord in the morning. And Shireen is the same way. Actually, at uh, uh, about 4.45 a.m., I will bring her her Bible she has her Bible by her bed. Make sure she has her Bible by her bed. And I'll bring her a cup of hot tea. And uh, Shireen likes hot tea in the morning. It's not simple tea. I mean, this is this is rough tea. I mean, it's it's got it's got it's got to have uh, uh, about that much milk in it, and and so that the color once you put in and it has to have two tea bags, not one tea bag, but two tea bags that the water that you boil that cup of water with the tea bags in it. And then you add milk such that the color of it is about the color of the back of her hand. That's the color that she wants it. And then, and then, uh, uh, it's got to have cinnamon. It's got to have, uh, uh, cardamom and, and, uh, um, and also, uh, some masala spice in it. So you gotta add these three spices to it. And then it's got to have brown sugar added to it as well. And just the right amount of sugar. She doesn't want too little sugar. So you gotta have right, the right amount of sugar. And then I put it in a cup with a cover. And so there's a thing that covers the cup because it has to stay warm for her. And then she likes that cup in, in a bowl so it doesn't spill with a napkin in, in that bowl as well. And a spoon in there. And so that's what I, I bring to her. And I am glad to bring it to her because I am so excited that she reads her Bible first thing in the morning. Because, because without that, without that, she would not be able to function. Because it says, says, uh, uh, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I love to see my wife abiding in the Word of God. I love to see her starting her day 
with the Word of God. And Shireen is busy, 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 and she's always been this way. And when the kids were little, I would still do the same thing, get her up early to have her own time with the Lord before we would have our morning Bible time together. And so this is something that we did. I got up early, I had my own time, and then during my own time, I would wake her up, I'd get her tea, get her up, and then at at 5.30 in the morning, we would have our family devotions together as a family. And we did this throughout the whole time of our, our having four kids. So we know what it's like, but it can be done. I urge you, get in this habit of abiding in the Lord. Unless you have this time of abiding in the Lord, these deeds, you set your heart to deeds, they will wipe you out. You will be so utterly exhausted that you'll be gritting your teeth and spitting in your heart as you do these deeds. But if Jesus is abiding in you, you can say, Lord, give me your love for these people. These people that don't even appreciate what I'm doing for them, these deeds. Give me your love. Lord, I serve you. I serve you. That's why he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. What part of that don't you understand? Could he have been more explicit? I am the vine, you are the branches. That's what Jesus said. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is the whole thing about deeds. And then he goes on in verse 7 of Romans chapter 2, verse 7. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfish, so, 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 to those who are seeking for good, for glory, and for honor, this glory and honor of God, and seeking eternal life, immortality, what are they gonna get? They're gonna get eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious, so there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. I mean, I'm, I'm ambitious. I'm gonna accomplish great things. But it's selfishly ambitious. To those who are selfishly ambitious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they're going to get wrath and indignation. You know, there's a, there's a, a verse, a verse in, in, in Proverbs chapter, chapter 13, verse 15, part B, it says, the way of the wicked is hard. I mean, life can be really hard on, on, uh, uh, um, on those, on, on those who are not pursuing these sorts of deeds. Verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, for the Jew first and also the Greek. A lot of that tribulation and distress might not even come in this life. It may come in the next life. In fact, uh, um, uh, uh, there's, there's a, a famous, famous uh, sermon by a famous uh, a Puritan preacher, uh, Jonathan Edwards. It says, it, it, it's entitled something like this, that, that God gives abundantly to people that he hates. God gives abundantly to people that he hates. And he, and, and he uses the example of, of uh, uh, Esau. Esau, whom he hated, was given abundant things in this world. Very often he doesn't even give believers the things he gives unbelievers because believers, he wants to keep them on the straight and narrow. He doesn't want to have them wander off. But to unbelievers, a lot of times he'll drop, drop all sorts of, of uh, uh, um, things of this world upon them and it'll just drive them even further and further astray. But to believers, he often has them go without many things because he wants to keep them seeking him. 
God knows how to do this and happens to the judgment comes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, just as it did in, in, in the root for blessing. For there is no partiality with God. Then he goes on in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law. Now, what often doesn't come through in the English text, it does here in the New American Standard, it does well. When you have law with the article, the law, the law, it's speaking about the Mosaic law. And in the New American Standard, they, they capitalize that, actually. Uh, um, the law, and they capitalize L for law. Uh, that's speaking about the Mosaic law, the law given by Moses to the Jewish people. When, it, when there's the, the article there, the, the law, it's talking about, about the Mosaic law. When it just talks about law or little l law without the definite article, without the article, then it's talking about the general law that he spoke about in chapter 1, where we behold God in the creation around us. He has these invisible attributes, his divine nature, and it's been made clear to people. He's talked, that's when he talks about the little law. That 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 uh, um, that general law, all right. In verse twelve, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. In other words, the Gentiles are not going to be judged by the law of Moses. Jews will be judged by the law of Moses. The Jews are going to be judged by it because they have it. The Gentiles didn't have it. They're not going to be judged by the law of Moses. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So the people who carry out the Mosaic law, they're going to be justified. But well within the context of the Mosaic law, we're going to see that in here. The Mosaic law exposed people for what they really were. And then justification only came by faith, not by works. And that is just nailed home in the Mosaic law. It's nailed home. And that's what Paul teaches us in this book. So so amazingly, he teaches us this. And remember, Saul was a master in, in the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. For when Gentiles, verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, that's the law of Moses, do instinctively the things of the law, they are not having, uh, these not having the law, are a law, a small, a lowercase law, they are a law to themselves, in that they show the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them. So he's saying Gentiles, those who are not Jews, are not going to be judged by the law of Moses. But they may end up fulfilling a lot of it by just carrying out the lowercase law, just the general law that they see around them. And so when they conduct this, it says that their conscience is going to bear witness with their thoughts, alternately accusing or defending them. Their conscience. Wow. It's the conscience of the Gentile believer. Remember, in this section, he's still speaking to the refined Gentile. He's speaking to the educated, refined Gentile, as opposed to the pagan Gentile, or as the, as the book of Romans calls it, uh, the barbarians, which were the pagan Gentiles. He's speaking to the refined or educated Gentiles. What he's saying here is your conscience, your conscience. God gave you a conscience, and it is in that 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 will be the deciding factor. 
the conscience is going to tell you, it's going to either accuse you or defend you. And when I think back to my time, even before I was a believer, my conscience would tell me when I did something wrong. And if I chose to ignore it, the next time I did it, my conscience would tell me again, but the voice of my conscience was not as loud anymore. And then the third time I did it, my conscience would speak to me again, but it was just in a whisper. I could barely hear it. And by the fourth or the fifth time, I could just ignore my conscience. It says your conscience will either defend you or, or alternately accusing or else defending them. It's either going to accuse me or it's going to tell me I did the right thing. And that conscience is on steroids when you're a believer. It's just shouting out to you. But if you ignore it, it gets more quiet. And you can see this thing when you, when you type a harsh email. I mean, this is where I see it. And I, when I start getting upset and I start pounding on the keys and I'm, I'm ready, you know, especially in the, in, with, with the enter key. Bam! You know, the times where I've stopped and I said, this, I'm probably going to regret this. And so what I do is I take it and I put it in my drafts box. In the box of my draft, I actually delete the part where I'm going to send it to somebody just so it doesn't inadvertently get sent. And I keep a copy in my drafts box and I say, let me look at this tomorrow. And I know when I'm writing a, a really strong email because my ears start getting hot and uh, you know, the blood is just rising to my head. And uh, on the days when I've given a day and then I come back the next day and I look at it and I go, wow, I'm glad I didn't send that. And then I come back two days later, I look at it and I think, what was I thinking? <laughs> what was I thinking? That's my conscience speaking to me. Say, you sure you want to do that? And I'll tell you, there are times that I've not listened to my conscience and said, no, he deserves it. Bam! And it gets sent. And 15 minutes later, I regret it. Uh, for the days that I've, I've, I've put it aside, I, I don't remember a day where I've put aside an email for a day and I've sent that same email to the person. Usually I lighten it up a lot, change the whole tenor of the email before I send it to them. You know, if, if you entitle, put in the subject line of an email, help me, comma, please, help me, please. And then you explain the situation you're going through. Rather than getting, up, that, getting upset at that person, that person comes to your aid. There's something, at least about American culture, when somebody says, help me, where we want to help them. You know, the, the proverbial view of a car on the side of the road with the hood up, with a woman, and I don't mean any offense, I'm just saying the proverbial view of a woman with her hands on her hips just looking at that engine. I mean, people are going to stop. That That is the universal sign, woman in trouble, help her. And and uh, um, uh, so 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 there, there are these, these clues. So if you entitle your email, help me, please, it has a big effect. And so it says, your conscience speaks to you. And it says in verse 16, on the day when, according to my gospel, remember Paul's gospel, that, that, that Jews and Gentiles will be worshiping together. According to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. God is going to judge our secrets. My secrets. Wow. My sec- My mind is just crazy. My secrets mean all these things that nobody gets to see. 
but race through my mind when I'm talking to them. God's going to judge the secrets that go through my mind. Judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Oh, thank you. That the judgment is going to come through the prism, through the lens of Jesus. Through the lens of Jesus, I'm protected because I'm covered by his blood. And I say, oh, Lord Jesus, your merciful blood. That's going to protect me from the judgment of God upon my secrets. If I don't have the blood of Jesus, I'm in big trouble. If you are an unbeliever and you do not have the blood of Jesus over you, let me just read to you Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. This is my gift to you as an unbeliever. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, all liars, no matter how little a lie you've ever said, you're in that group. And all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God will come and he will judge even the secrets of your heart. You think you're pretty good? How are your secrets? He's going to judge your secrets. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you this day to cry out and say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Wash me clean. Forgive me. And confess Jesus is Lord and say, Lord, I believe you've risen from the dead. You probably need some time with me. You send me a message. You send me an email to tour at drjamestour.org. Tour at drjamestour.org. And that'll come to me, and I will set up a one-on-one Zoom call with you to explain to you the gospel. And this is only an invitation for people who do not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want so much to have that conversation with you. And you'll get saved that very day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. It is wonderful. Lord, I pray that you would work upon our hearts this very day to show us in our deeds that we should be busy serving you and even doing the routine things that we think might not be the greatest deeds as we pour into the lives of our children, as we pour into the lives of our spouses, that these are the very support staff roles that you have for us so that those other people can go out and serve you and be your hands and your feet in this world. Father, I thank you for the mothers that are here, the fathers that are here, that they would pour out all the more into their lives of their children, into the lives of their spouses. Lord, your your glory be there. And Father, I pray that as our consciences testify to us that we are evil, that there is so much evilness in us, that we would cry out to you, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. The blood of Jesus, wash me clean, I pray. Wash me clean of my sins. Thank you, Lord God, for all your mercy and for all your grace. Blessed be your name. Glory be to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your wonderful word. Amen.